Hello and welcome to Restoration Church's Teaching of the Week. If this is your first time, welcome. So glad that you were able to join us. If you'd like to listen to past teachings or to learn a little bit more about restoration, you can go to restorationaz.org. This week we have a guest uh, teaching pastor, Luke Simmons, is going to teach for us this week. Luke is the lead pastor um, for... Uh, Redemption Gateway down in the Southeast Valley. Um, Luke has been fundamentally uh, and crucial and a part of restoration. Um, he was a part of the leadership team um, before we instituted uh, local eldership here at the church. He's also been um, a dear mentor for Landon for years, kind of leading up to the launch of restoration, and then was a really big part in helping Landon navigate a lot of those big questions in planning restoration. He's been a faithful friend, um, a great mentor, and stoked that he's going to bring the word today. So let's uh, give a hand for Luke. Well, good morning, y'all. It is, uh, it's super fun to be here. I love, I love coming here. I love uh, Landon. I love your team. Um, I love just being here. It's like, it, it feels like family. It feels like home. And it's been cool to see how God has been working and is working. Uh, sometimes when I come, I see some familiar faces and I see some totally new faces to me. And that's super exciting as well. So uh, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here as we continue this study of the book of Exodus. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it or, uh, uh, you know, swipe to it or something. Um, and uh, we'll go to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20. And uh, we're going to look today at verses 4 through 6. Uh, 4 through 6 in Exodus chapter 20. Thank you for that fan. I was sweating rockets up here the first service. I come with a towel, and so they brought me a fan for this service. So, uh, uh, hey, man, I, I feel so loved here. This is amazing. All right, so Exodus chapter 20, uh, verses 4 through 6. Uh, this is the second commandment of the Ten Commandments, and I'm going to read it for us. And as we read, remember, we're reading God's Word. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. This is the word of the Lord. It has been said that God made man in his image, and man has been returning the favor ever since. I don't know exactly who said that. It's one of those quotes you can't totally track down, uh, but that's absolutely true. God made man in his image, and man has been returning the favor ever since. And so last week, uh, you looked at this first commandment of the Ten Commandments, this uh, command that you shall have no other gods before me, that you shouldn't worship any false gods. And and I'm sure um, there are lots of different ways that we can worship other gods, the gods of comfort or the gods of success or the gods of money or the gods of uh, pleasure, whatever those might be. But most of us aren't actually really all that tempted by the same kinds of gods that the people in ancient Israel were tempted by. Right? I don't think anybody has ever gone, man, I'm really struggling because I'm, I'm so tempted to worship Baal. Oh man, Asherah really has a big piece of my heart. You know, oh, Artemis of the Ephesians, if only I could. None of us are really uh, tempted to do that. And yet what we are tempted to do uh, is, is to worship the true God falsely. 
We're tempted to shrink him a little bit. We're tempted to want a customizable edition of God uh, that's based on our particular preferences. So here's some, here's some customized editions you can get of God if you want to worship God. Would you like to worship uh, God, the Sedona edition? The Sedona edition, he's very spiritual and very chill, and he's just feeling the good vibes, man. And uh, you can worship God, the Sedona edition. You can worship God, the Siri edition, where you call on him when you need something. Hey, uh, hey God, I'm stuck. How can I help you? Right? And then he helps, and he's, he's, you know, you're on your way. He's going to leave you alone. You'll leave him alone, but maybe you'll need him again. That's God, the, the Siri edition. Maybe there's God, the grandpa edition. And no offense to any grandpas here, but you're not moving as fast as you used to. And a lot of us like God the Grandpa edition because, you know, he's, he's not that quick moving, but he's, he's sweet and he reminds us of our childhood and uh, he's, he's probably going to slip us a 20. Is the fan blowing into my mic? Is that what it is? Okay. We can turn it off, man. I'll sweat. I don't care. It's good. All right. Thanks, buddy. So there's the Grandpa edition. Uh, maybe you have experienced the God the stained glass. A lot about the stained glass edition of God, he just lives at the church. Maybe uh, you know what happens on Sunday, but man, good news, the rest of the week, hey, whatever you want. Maybe uh, you know about God, the hashtag blessed edition. <laughs> right, this is the God that makes sure that you know, you've got beautiful vacations and everything is happy and healthy and successful and prosperous and make sure everybody knows how hashtag blessed you are. Uh, maybe you uh, like God, the sports edition. Right? Maybe you're a sports person like, like I am. And, and you know, the, the God, the sports edition, he's a little more superstitious. You got to make sure you don't step on the lines. You know, you got to take the same number of practice swings every time. Um, you know, and this God, he, he's, he's cool. Like the most important thing is get your kid a scholarship. Who cares if they can't be involved in church? Like as long as, as, long as they have that, go for that. Uh, maybe you want God, the woke edition. God, the woke edition, he or she uh, loves, <laughs> loves people, but especially groups of people. Doesn't really see people as individuals, just sees people as groups, especially marginalized and oppressed groups. And the good news about the woke edition of God is, is you'll never have to feel bad about your sexual desires. Or maybe you want God, the MAGA edition. You know, he wakes up every day and pledges allegiance to the flag of the United States. And you know what? He'd probably rather that I was preaching on the second amendment than the second commandment. <laughs> but maybe you're tempted by him. Or maybe it's God, the BFF edition. You're just best friends forever. This is the God who never contradicts you. He never pushes back. He's always there to cheer you on. All right, have I offended everybody? <laughs> That's been uh, the goal of this part. Say, so, you know, when you're a guest speaker, make sure you tick everybody off in the first five minutes. So uh, check. All right. So uh, that sets us up to, to look at this next part of the book of Exodus. You've been studying the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus is this story of how God rescues and saves and establishes the people of Israel. And we're going to look, as I said, at verses four to six. But I, I want to help just remind us of the context. And this will be helpful in the coming weeks as you continue through the Ten Commandments. Is uh, chapters 19 and 20 are really like a proposal, engagement, and wedding between God and his people. Chapter 19 is really all about covenant. 
Chapter 20 is really all about vows. So if you go back into chapter 19, the first part of it is like a proposal. God says, here's what I want you to be. I want you to be the people of my treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. He's down on his knee. Will you marry me, Israel? Will you have me? Because I'd like to be yours. And then there's some verses that feel like a kind of engagement where the people are supposed to prepare themselves and get ready like a bride would get ready for a wedding. And then there's a period in verses 12 to 25 of chapter 19 that feels like a processional. There's lots of loud noise. There's lots of things that go like, oh, wow, this is really happening. The big day's here. And then you get to chapter 20, and chapter 20 is like the vows. These 10 commandments, which we oftentimes think is just sort of rigid rules or something, are actually, I think, better understood as covenant vows, these marriage commitments between God and his people. Now, I've had the privilege of uh, officiating lots of weddings. What's fascinating is I've never, ever had a couple say, you know what, we don't want to do vows. They're too rigid. Ladies, if someone proposes to you and says, I would like to not make vows, they're too rigid, I suggest you say no to that proposal, (laughs) right? Like, nobody thinks that. Nobody's like, oh, the problem with vows is they're too legalistic, No, vows are like an important part of of committing to an important relationship. That's how it goes. And you can tell a lot about people by their vows, right? I've I've, I've had some people, they just want the traditional vows. You know, sickness and in health, till death do us part. Other people, they want to write poetry and five paragraph essays about how awesome the other person is, right? Either way is fine. I don't really care. But it tells you about them. Well, here's the thing. These vows, these 10 commandments, they tell you about God, They tell you about his character. They tell you about what he wants this relationship to be like. So as you go through the Ten Commandments, just keep that in mind. These are really marriage vows throughout this whole process. And so last week, like I said, we looked at the first commandment. The first commandment is don't uh, have no other gods before me. It's don't worship any false gods. Today, the second commandment is this. Don't worship the true God falsely. Last week, don't worship any false gods. This week, don't worship the true God falsely. So that's what we're going to look at. We're going to explore this under the headings of the rule, the reasons, and the restoration. So that's where we're going to go. Let's pray together. Uh, So Father, we come to you and invite you by the Spirit to speak to us. Lord, we don't want to shrink you. Uh, We don't want to try to customize you. We don't want to turn you into our image but we want to understand who you are and even understand this tendency in us to try to tweak you a little bit. And so, Father, would we come humbly, eager to be shaped and directed and changed by you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so first is the rule. The rule, if you want to look at it again with me, it's really verse four is where you get this. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, other translations say a graven image or an idol. It's this physical representation. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Uh, Notice, and then it says in verse five, you shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So you notice there's kind of this this progression of, of you shall not make, you shall not bow down, you shall not serve. And uh, it's like, well, you can't make what? Anything, right? And I love how verse four it says, uh, 
anything that's in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters. <laughs> like, like this is like sometimes when my kids come, they're like, can I have a snack? And you're like, no. And they're like, well, but what about, can I have this? No. I don't know what part you didn't understand, right? This is like God saying, don't make anything. You're like, well, what about, no, 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 nothing. Well, what about things in, no. Nothing above, nothing below, no water, like nothing. Don't make any other images of God. As I said, this is a distinct command uh, from uh, number one, the first command. Uh, Interestingly, and you can just kind of file this away, share this with someone if you want, tell them you learned something interesting at church. Uh, Maybe if you're from a Roman Catholic background, you already know this. In the Roman Catholic tradition, the Ten Commandments are actually slightly different than the way Protestants see it. So for Roman Catholics, they actually combine the first two commandments into one and then split up the commandment around coveting at the end into two. Don't covet your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's house, which is perhaps, some speculate, this is why Roman Catholics are more okay with the idea of a crucifix, of an image of Jesus in a worship space because they've kind of combined that. So anyway, I just, I found that. I was like, what? I didn't know that. That's just so interesting. So I'm not going to talk much about that, but I thought it was just, I had to share it. Okay. You got to share. Um, so, so this, this idea is, is okay. We, we want to not worship false gods. We don't want to worship the true God falsely. Let me give you an example of how this breaks down. So there's a guy in second Kings named Jehu. And here's what we read in second Kings chapter 10, verse 27. It says, they demolished the pillar of Baal and demolished the house of Baal and made it a latrine to this day. That's an interesting use for a former uh, idol site. Thus, Jehu wiped out Baal from Israel. You go, yay, all right, way to go, Jehu. He got rid of the false gods. He got rid of Baal. He turned Baal worship into a toilet. Awesome. Here's the problem, next verse. But Jehu did not turn aside from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. That is the golden calves that were in Bethel and in Dan. The golden calves, people were saying, oh, these, this, this is Yahweh. These golden calves, these are God. And so Jehu did, did, he obeyed the first commandment by getting rid of Baal worship. He didn't obey the second commandment. So hopefully you get that distinction. So at this point, I, I just imagine a lot of you are going, oh man, this was such a good week to come to church. Because in these 10 commandments, I'm like, I have never one time thought about carving up anything and worshiping it. Like, I'm so off the hook today. This is incredible. Like, um, and, and I just want to say, uh, not so fast. This one's more subtle, right? It's more subtle than don't murder. Like, you tend to know, guilty or not, on that one, you know? <laughs> this one's a little more, a little more subtle, because there is this thing in our hearts where, we're, okay, we're not going to whittle anything, most of us. But, but what we are going to do is, is construct a God of our own making in our minds and hearts and live accordingly. And so in that sense, our, because this is all emerging out of what happens in our hearts, we're really kind of in the same place as these Israelites. And we have some warnings to consider. So here's the, that was the rule. Here's the reasons. There's three reasons. The first is that this uh, worshiping the true God falsely slanders God. It lies about him. It doesn't tell the truth. The word slander means to make false and damaging statements about somebody. And when we make God into some other truncated, smaller image, we are lying about him. We are slandering him. Now, here's the thing. Usually we don't mind if people lie about us if it makes us look better. Right? If someone kind of touches up your photo a little bit and you're like, oh, cool. Like, that's fine. I look pretty good, you know? 
And, and actually, that kind of touching up to make someone look better, that's not a new thing. Uh, you know, we've just uh, all commemorated, you know, around the world, the, the death of the queen in England. Well, Queen Elizabeth I, in the 1500s, uh, she, she actually was kind of one of the first people to really leverage Photoshop for her image. Now, not literally Photoshop, but here's, here's what happened. Is she realized that she was aging. She started to have some skin blemishes. She started to have some things where she didn't look very good. And as she was getting older, she was saying, people are not going to respect an old-looking queen. So she commissioned an artist to draw this painting. And her face in this painting became the template. Historians call it the mask of youth. No one was allowed to create a painting of her without basing it on this picture. Her clothes could change, her regalia could change, the other things in the photo, in the image could change, but the face had to be like this. What was she doing? She was trying to look better than she actually is, right? That's what human leaders do. That's what politicians do. They don't want you to see the video of them tripping down the stairs. They want you to see them at their regal best. They want to touch it up a little bit so they look a little bit better than they actually are. But here's the thing with God. God's not like those earthly rulers trying to make things look better than they are. God is saying, I want to look as good as I actually am. And when you tweak me, when you shrink me, you're taking some stuff away. I don't look as good then as I truly am. So this slanders God. The second reason is that this shrinks God. It shrinks God. It's fascinating. I mean, right away in this book, uh, they break this command. Moses is up on the mountain. The next number of chapters are going to be him receiving more words from the Lord. But if you go to Exodus chapter 32, you see that it does not take long at all for them to actually break this command. If you have your Bible, you can swipe over to Exodus 32 or turn a few pages. Keep your finger in Exodus 20. But uh, here's what it says. It says, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron, and he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Who, who brought them up out of the land of Egypt? God. Yahweh. Did this calf do it? No. They go on to say, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Anytime you see the Lord in all caps in the Hebrew scriptures, it means the covenant name of God. It's Yahweh. And so here's what's going on in this passage. Aaron isn't, isn't saying that this calf delivered us. He's saying Yahweh delivered us. Yahweh is going to be the one we have a feast to. And here's Yahweh, this calf. It's a far smaller image of God than the God who is eternally existing everywhere. Notice how much this shrinks God. This golden calf is small, but God is immense. The golden calf is inanimate, it can't move, but God is spirit, he's moving all over the world. The golden calf is location bound, but God is everywhere fully present. The golden calf is created, but God is uncreated and eternal. The golden calf is new, but God has existed forever. The golden calf is impotent, can't do anything, has to be moved around by human hands. God is omnipotent. He can do everything. 
It's destructible. God is indestructible. It's of minor value. God is of infinite value. It is blind and deaf and mute, but God sees and hears and speaks. Do you see how it shrinks God? And it's fascinating how similar and yet worse this is to the gods of the other uh, nations around them. Here's what Jen Wilkins, she has a terrific book on the Ten Commandments. Here's what she says. She says, one of the principal deities of Egypt was the bull god Apis. And the supreme head of the Canaanite pantheon was the bull god El. Bull worship was all the rage in the region. But it is a knobby-kneed calf, not a raging bull that Aaron manufactures. When Aaron conceives of Yahweh of his own imagining, he produces a non-threatening, approachable version of the same gods of the surrounding regions. And so do we. See, that's what happens when we disobey this command, is God just gets smaller. God just gets shrunken. And a lot of times, we don't necessarily mean to do this, but what we do is we actually take one true description of God and we make it so big as to overshadow all the others, right? So if I go back through the list that I offended everybody with at the beginning, what you see is actually each version of God in that list is, is grabbing on to some part of God that's true, but it's making it, it's totalizing it and making it as though God were only that thing and not all the other things, right? So the Sedona God, the Sedona version, it, listen, God is the creator, God made all those unbelievable rocks. God made those things. And yet God is also personal. He also wants to be in your life. He's not just energy, but he's a person. The Siri God, that grabs onto the truth that God really does respond when you call on him. And yet God doesn't want to just be kind of taken for granted in your pocket when you're in a pinch. He wants all of your life. The grandpa God, yes, God is a comforting person. God is comforting, but God is also scary. Anytime God shows up, people fall on their face and they tremble because God's holy and righteous. The stained glass God, listen, God does love it when his people gather together and they pray and they praise and they worship and they enjoy the Lord and they take the Lord's Supper and they celebrate baptism. God loves that stuff. He also loves when you go to work and take him there with you. The hashtag blessed version of God. Listen, every good and perfect gift comes from above, it says in the book of James. God really does bless his people. But he also disciplines them. And he also lets them walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The sports version of God. God made our bodies. God made us to be able to do incredible things. I think there's a, there's a kind of spirit of competition that's, that's a good part of how God made us. And yet, that's not the only thing God cares about. The woke edition. Listen, God really does care about people on the margins. Jesus didn't spend most of his time with the big and the powerful and the wealthy and the have it together. He spent time with the sinners and the tax collectors and the people who were on the outskirts of everything. And if you read the Old Testament scriptures, you find this quartet of the vulnerable that God seems to have this special heart for the widow and the orphan and the immigrant and the poor. That really is a true part of God. Now, on the other hand, the walls of hostility between different ethnic groups have been broken down in Jesus. And what defines us mostly is not our oppressed status or our sexual identity. What defines us is that we're made in the image of God. And the MAGA edition, listen, that 
grabs onto this reality that God did make us to be responsible. God wants us to be, have security. God wants us to protect one another. God, those are all good things. And yet when that becomes the main thing, it overshadows many other good parts of God. The best friends forever. Well, God really does like us. Like some of you need to hear this today. God likes you. Like you just kind of walk, you know, I think a lot of us would go, like if I came to you and said, hey, uh, God wants to see you. <laughs> but listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, your sin has been washed away. And I believe with all my heart, you would walk into that door and he'd go, hey, man, it's so good to see you. Now, he might also say, hey, we got some things we got to talk about. But he likes you. And yet, he loves you enough to not let you just stay the way you are. Do you get this? So all of these, all of these other additions of God are, are, are taking true things and making them too big rather than seeing who God is in all of his entirety. So the reason this is a problem is it lies about God. It slanders him. It also shrinks him. And finally, it, it saddens him. It saddens him. This is what it says in verse five. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. God's not petty. God's not insecure. God's not like your boyfriend that, you know, got weird every time you talked to any other guy. But God is saying, hey, I love you. And the flip side of love is that when you go after other gods, or if you go after other versions of me, I hate that. It breaks my heart. I haven't had a chance yet to introduce you to my family, so here's a picture of my family. I've been married to Molly for 20 years. Uh, we've got four kids. Abby is 16, Caitlin's 13, Mary's eight, Hank is uh, just turned six, and uh, they're home alone this weekend. Molly and I came up, uh, had a great day yesterday walking around Prescott, and as far as I know, our house is still standing, and our 16-year-old has driven everybody to church, and hopefully they'll all be there when we get home. We'll see about that. So this is my family, but um, I just want you to imagine that I, you know, Molly's here today, and I imagine that I had, you know, showed this picture, but I had, like, photoshopped out her face and swapped it with, like, a brunette. What would she be feeling? Uh, not a fan. Not a fan of this, right? Why? Because we have a covenant commitment. We love one another. And, the, and we love not a fake version of each other. We love the true version of each other. You get this. This saddens the Lord. And it's why there are consequences that go beyond us. I think that's what's being described in verses five and six is that the consequences of distorting God is you're gonna pass on a distorted version of God generation after generation after generation and it's not gonna go well. This is what we see in Romans one. In Romans one, the apostle Paul says that they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who's to be blessed forever. Therefore, God gave them over to all the sin that they wanted and it's just destroyed everything. So that's the reasons. They're significant. But last, let's look at the restoration. We are here at Restoration Church. So I thought, man, this is great. I can work a restoration uh, word into this. So let me ask you this. Those of you who are more familiar with this story, more familiar maybe with the whole Bible, uh, so class, uh, what's one more reason why we can't make an image of God? Okay. You don't, you don't have to shout out. You can if you want. That, you know, you're good, bud. 
Can you think, you, what's another reason? So there's a big reason I haven't mentioned. Why can't we make the image of God? Here's why. Because he already made it. We are the image of God. God made us in Genesis 1. In his image, in his likeness, male and female, he created us. So we are the image of God. Here's what John Calvin said. He said, God cannot be represented by a picture or sculpture since he has intended his likeness to appear in us. Philip Ryken says, we are not allowed to make God's image, but only to be God's image. When we make God into something else, we're not only distorting him, we're distorting us. Because God made us to be thinking, feeling, relating, connecting people. We are the image of God. We don't, get, get this, we don't have the image of God. We are made in God's image. Now, here's the problem, is that our sin has distorted that. The, the sin, and that word just means to miss the mark, to disobey, to exchange the truth about God for a lie, to rebel, to just indifferently be more concerned with other things than about God. All that is a description of sin. And we have sinned, and that sin has distorted the pristine image of God that we were made with. I just recently... Um, I've, last few years, this is a hobby, I've been kind of getting into cooking and watching different cooking shows and different things like that. And uh, in the last couple of months, I went and I bought a Blackstone griddle. And if you know a Blackstone griddle, it's kind of like a backyard propane grill, only it's just a flat top thing. And you get it and it's this piece of steel and it's just, it comes and it's like, ah, oh, it's just pristine. It's beautiful. And then you go out and you season it. You kind of cover it with oil and heat it up. And it, it ends up with this really nice sheen. And it's like, oh, this is going to be great. And then you start cooking on it. And you're making bacon and pancakes and fried rice and smash burgers. I mean, it's just awesome. And so I've just been you know, having the biggest kick out of you know, making big meals for our family and doing fun stuff and having people over. Well, a number of weeks ago, I go out and I take off the cover. And I'm like ready to cook. And I open the hood and there's rust. No, right, now how, now how am I gonna cook this? Anyway, but, like, but there was rust, and it turned out what had happened is I had been using some water to steam some vegetables, but I didn't, afterwards, I didn't like heat it up enough to let all the steam get out, and so some of the water kind of attached to the steel, and it ended up kind of, there's just rust all over. And here's the thing, sin is like rust. We come made in the image of God, this pristine beauty. And sin, the sin we commit, the sin that is committed against us, it is like this rust that attaches to us and it begins to distort us. Sin, get this, can only be parasitic. It can only be like a parasite. It can only attach to something good. And so that's what we are, is we are made in the image of God, but we've got this layer of rust. So the question is, well, then what is God gonna do about this? How is God gonna restore us to his image even when we have been making images of him? Well, what I had to do was turn the heat way up 
I got on YouTube. Man, praise God for YouTube, right? I mean, they tell you how to fix anything. And I get on YouTube and I heat it up. And I bought, they told me to buy these like grill stones. And so I bought these grill stones. And you heat it up real hot and you kind of put oil on it. And then you got to scrape and scrape and scrape. And the friction is scraping away the rust. And it gets hot. And it's, you know, I'm imagining that rust is going, ow, ow. And you're scraping it. And then you're applying another layer of oil and you're, another layer of oil and you're reseasoning it and you're restoring it. Well, think about this. God has us in his image, but covered in rust. We're these idolaters, worshiping other gods, worshiping him falsely. And he goes, I don't want this. I want, I want what I made to accomplish my purposes. I want it to be as pristine as I made it. I want it to be as functional as I made it. I want it to be as great to be a blessing to lots of people. Like that Blackstone blesses lots of people with good food. I want each of these people to bless one another with hospitality and love and joy and peace. And I, what do I do to fix this? Here's what he does. He sends his son, Jesus, who Colossians 1 describes as the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of all creation. He's truly and perfectly and fully human. He is the image of God, pristine, that we were not. When we were rusted by sin, he remained pristine and obedient and holy. And here's what it says in Hebrews chapter one, verse three. It says, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Here's what it's saying. It's saying that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of God. And despite the fact that he was pristine, despite the fact that he was well-oiled, despite the fact that he had no rust, he went to the cross where he experienced the heat turned up and he experienced the gouging and the scraping as he suffered the penalty that our sins deserved. And then he was buried and he rose, and this verse says he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, and as he sits down at the right hand of the majesty on high, resurrected, ascended, he's in a new body that is the image of God, that is the prototype of our future when he comes again, we will be resurrected in our bodies, made fully and restored completely to that pristine image of God. And we begin to get a taste of it as the oil of the Holy Spirit comes into our life and covers us and guides us and directs us. So how do we obey this command to not make any graven images? Well, we do it a few ways. The first is just by not shrinking or minimizing God. Not having a mental map that takes one piece of God and elevates it over and above the other true pieces. But the second way is by becoming human the way we were meant to be. By acknowledging our sin. By acknowledging the rust that has attached itself to us through our choices and through other people's choices by acknowledging it, by turning from that sin, by looking to Jesus, 
the one who suffered to purify us by looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, by putting our faith and our trust and our hope in him and then walking in obedience to the Father and depending on the Spirit. And as we do that, even, in, even until the time comes when we're resurrected from the dead, we can begin to be a restored image of God to the world. He's blessed us to be a blessing and we get to be in on that through Jesus. Let's pray. So Father, thank you for how you've revealed yourself to us in your word and through your son. And Lord, we're sorry for the ways we minimize you. We're sorry for the ways that we make you seem less powerful than you actually are. We're sorry for the ways that like Aaron, we just come up with other versions of you taking our cues from the world instead of letting you reign supreme in our hearts, revealed as you are. And so Lord, we, uh, we pray now that you would give us the ability to turn from our sin, the ability to trust in Christ, the ability to walk in obedience, the ability to be filled by the Spirit. God, not just so that we could like feel better about ourselves, but so that we could actually be who you made us to be. God, what an invitation that is. Thank you for how you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.